Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Powatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Powatic, here with Aaron Cameron, your host today. We are on site at the Western Canada Apartment Investment Conference, hosted by Informa. This year, it is in Edmonton, so we're enjoying some spring weather here in Alberta. We've got a guest who's uh, not a local to Alberta. She's based out of Vancouver. It is Cynthia Jagger, who's a principal at Goodman Commercial and a, a specialist in everything to do with Vancouver apartments and developments. Cynthia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. Great. So Cynthia, before we jump into it, can we get into your background and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. I'm born and bred in Vancouver. I went away to university actually on a field hockey scholarship to Michigan State. And when I came back, I wanted to get into residential real estate at the time. And I worked at Rennie doing project sales and I wanted to snowboard on the weekends and I didn't want to work on the weekends. So I moved to commercial and it was a great transition for me and ended up actually on the appraisal side for 10 years. I was a director at Altus Group. And uh, six years ago, my business partner, Mark Goodman, called and said, are you going to be an appraiser forever? And I said, I don't think so. But what do you think? And he said, I think you'd be a good broker. So six years ago, I joined Mark and his father, David. And uh, it's been great. We've done over $2 billion in sales and I'm having a lot of fun. Mark's standing right behind Cynthia with Is a big smile on his face. You're going to give him full credit for your career? I wouldn't yeah. do that. I don't no. think he deserves it. <laughs> good point. No, it's been great. And uh, since 2019, his father has transitioned out and retired. And it's uh, Mark and I and our team. Great way to learn doing appraisals. Like you really having to do that deep dive, having to think analytically and being unbiased, I think is probably a really interesting perspective in our community, commercial real estate. There's often, you're usually on one side or the other, right? Uh, Trying to argue a position, whether it's for or against values or for or against whatever. But appraisals, you kind of try to take just a neutral stance. Yeah, it's your opinion and you do a ton of research on what you think something's worth and you put it forward and you have to back it up with a lot of data numbers. And so I have um, this great analytical background that's really served me well in this new venture. I won't ask you how biased you are as a salesperson because that would be rude, <laughs> but that was Aaron was implying. But I'm in sales as well. So I'll, I'll take it as a shot against... Uh, well, to be fair, I'm on the other side, right? On credit and argue why it shouldn't be what it's worth or what loan we should give or whatever exactly. it may be. So everybody's got to take a position, but I find appraisers usually, in certain circumstances, they're often trying to be the middle ground, right? So... You can only go on facts. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. You can't make stuff up. That's for sure. As an appraiser. So we're going to jump into the craziness that is the Vancouver market. Sure. Where would you like to start? Yeah. I mean, I think that since we last really focused on Vancouver, I don't know if we really covered how Vancouver was doing coming out of the pandemic. And actually probably is worth mentioning that your partner, Mark, was on an episode with us a year and a half ago when we were in a peak pandemic. So we right. you know, covered the market then. But Uh, This might be a sunnier story today if we talk about Vancouver coming out of COVID for the last little while. And then, of course, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't jump into interest rates, but we'll save that for... Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Adam. Like, let's date stamp it so everybody appreciates it because things are changing so rapidly right now. It's May 17th, right? 2022. And maybe, Cynthia, before we get into today's market, because I think that's all where we'll end up in the conversation, maybe just take us back to probably when we were talking to Mark, maybe a little bit after because COVID had settled in. What was the peak what did the peak look like? Maybe on a per door value, on a acreage value? Like where was the what was the high point? And maybe that'll lead us into where we are today. 
Sorry, do you mean the high point in terms of values prior to 2020 or, or, the or just point at, at, at any which, point? Yeah. yeah. What, what was the apex? Good question. Because coming out of 2017, actually, the apartment market suffered many government interventions. So 2018, 2019 were pretty low transaction years and uh, price per doors had actually already come down quite a bit. And it was on its way up and the pandemic hit and obviously rental rates went down, vacancy rates went way up to levels we've never seen, especially in areas like UBC. They hit 12% vacancy rates, CMHC stats in end of 2020, which we, you know, it's just unfathomable. It's all yeah, back I don't, now. I don't believe you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sure, it was 1.2. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's what we're back to now. But yeah, in the end of 2020, I think when you were speaking with Mark, we probably ramped up with 35 listings. We felt like we could never sell something ever again. You know, we did some transactions, but heading into 2021, things changed really dramatically. We ended up having probably two years worth of volume just in that one year. It went down to, I think, in the 70s in number of trades, and we were back up to 161. And 2.6 billion in sales in 2020. So it was a, a very pronounced change. And I do think everyone who had traditionally invested only in office and retail, all of a sudden they were buying apartment buildings because they were so stable through the pen. Even, you know, this global phenomenon we'd never even imagined could happen. They were extremely stable. Rental rates were continuing to be paid and cap rates stayed pretty consistent. And even dropped. Yeah. Well, you always hear apartments being recession-proof and I guess pandemic-proof too. Like it's everybody needs a place to sleep. We always kind of talk about that, which is why it's most people's favorite asset class toward everybody else that participates in other assets. And what did that look like on evaluation? Because I mean, even being from Ontario, where it's second, I guess, as far as just sort of frothiness, again, pre-rise in interest rates in the last sort of four or five months, we'll get there. We were kind of starting to see sort of 3.00 caps, like 3% caps, some twos, but you could, I mean, again, that's a wishy-washy kind of valuation because there might've been upside in rents, et cetera. But in VC, you were hearing like stable, healthy cash flowing assets with a two handle on the cap rates, like really, really aggressive pricing. Is that kind of where it stopped? And when was that? Like that's kind of like mid 2021 sort of timeframe? Yes. Well, no, it's, it's continued. You know, we're selling properties in the two cap range all the way up to just a few months ago. And while the cap rate might be low, the price per unit would also be correspondingly low in those instances. Right. Back in 2019, we got up towards a 3% cap rate for most of the existing apartment buildings with legacy leases. But since that time, we went back down in the twos and I think we're heading back, back up, up to the high Well, then what would a new build, fully stabilized asset trade at where there isn't that sort sure. of upside in rents? Okay, I'll make that point. I think new builds versus existing rental, there is a divergence happening in terms of cap rate right now. And because it's so difficult to get a building built and we'll, I'm sure, talk about that, you know, the headwinds we're currently facing are even more pronounced. I would say, you know, high-end downtown concrete in the three and a half to three and three quarter cap rate range. And I don't think that's changed dramatically. Yeah, so while we're on the topic of new builds, what's the investor appetite for pre-approval development sites? Well, you mentioned it's so hard to build. So like maybe implicate that into the... Into yeah, I mean, post-approval, I'm sure there's a very deep market of buyers. What yes. about pre-approval? Pre-approval right now for purpose-built development sites, I would say there is a bit of a pause right now. It's uncertain, the market in terms of what will the building be worth? Well, you would know best in terms of takeout financing, what that's going to look like. And there could be a huge gap. Costs are rising. So I do think that there's a significant appetite for builders and developers to continue to build rental and to acquire sites for 
that purpose. I do think right now there's a little bit of hesitation just trying to understand how we're going to come out of the next six months with labor costs rising, steel, concrete, aluminum, all these, everything's going up. So it, all those inputs in a performer are kind of challenged right now. We don't often do this, but let me just do it just for those that are listening that may not necessarily be holding onto the rope, right? Like when you're looking at a budget for a development, you can't really control your interest rate costs. You can't really control your hard costs. You have some control of your soft costs, but to varying degrees, you can control your land costs. You can decide how much you're willing to pay for land. And so I think what Cynthia, correct me if I'm interpreting this wrong, but we're seeing that people are now going, wait a minute, am I really going to bake this amount of my budget at this price if I really can't control a whole bunch of other variables that go into my, my pro forma? Yeah, to be clear, this is for developers looking at purchasing today. If you've already, and that's what I tell, there's a lot of groups that are out there saying, oh, land costs are too high and that's why it doesn't work. Well, land costs reflect all of these other variables on our pro forma. And if you've already bought your site 18 months, two years ago, you know, that cost is now fixed. So everything else, you're trying your best in terms of scheduling and getting approvals quickly and making sure you're buying in a great location where you know that as of complete project is going to be successful. But yeah, you're right. There's a, a lot of costs you can't control. So if I'm calculating correctly between the two of you, once you've bought land, there's nothing you can control other than maybe <laughs> exactly. going going ahead or not. Is that the final variable that people might be contemplating right now? Is that in the market? Yes. There's a lot of groups thinking, what should we do right now? Should we go ahead or not? I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in multiple markets, that conversation is taking place pretty regularly right now. Yeah. And, you know, we can see the city of Vancouver has had a number of great policies come through, one of them being the Broadway plan, although I have my reservations, but we're not seeing completions. You know, we're seeing a lot of approvals. I think it was a record level of approvals in 2021, I think 2,800, of which 50% was rental projects, which is exciting. However, when you look at what was actually completed and occupied last year, it was 689 units. And that's in a market with 100,000. Yeah, that's right. Nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's, not, that's not solving anything. Um, <laughs> and those are city approvals in all the different Neighborhoods. That's City of Vancouver, yes. City of all Vancouver. the different, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Do you think that rents, increasing rents, can patch up some of the weaker points in a pro forma right now? I think that rents will be going up. However, I don't think they can cover if there's a 10, 15, 25 basis point adjustment on a cap rate, number one. And number two, all the hard costs, soft costs, and just a shortage, like the capacity issue of delivering the housing is, I think, one of the biggest headwinds right now. Yeah. And it's it's not getting any easier. Let's segue then into just what the cities are doing and what you're seeing out of the cities. And maybe just talk about a little bit of the activism that you participate in. Sure. I'm a board member at uh, the Urban Development Institute and on the executive committee. I participate in a number of issues committees, like just about rental housing in general, and then some of the municipal liaison committees as well. And I really try to bring sort of a numbers, analytical, factual, you know, less stories and emotions, more facts on here's what a developer is facing currently in order to deliver rental housing, because that's what you want and your policy puts it forward. But here are the ways in which it's not going to work, or here's are the ways in which it could be better to help deliver housing sooner. And so are they receptive to that? <laughs> I think that a lot of the planning, they are listening and there are third party consultants that planning and city council, they hired to provide reports on exactly all of these variables, you know, what are cap rates, what are rental rates, what are vacancy rates. And when you test your policies, are they going to work or not work based on highest and best use? And and that's the case we're seeing in Broadway right now. There's a policy going to council May 18th. It'll start, they'll start hearing from speakers on 
this very dense corridor that our federal and provincial governments are putting a lot of money, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars into the subway line. And there's, we need to have employment uses and industrial uses and people living there. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. It'll go okay. <laughs> Whenever you talk to developers countrywide, they'll complain about their local municipality the most. But I will say that Vancouver does get more than its fair share of red tape comments. So, you know, we talked about, of course, a little bit about interest rates. We talked about construction costs. That's universal across country right now. What unique headwinds does Vancouver have? I mean, when you mentioned some of the the red tape that sprung to mind. Was there anything else we're missing? You know, is your, your boots in the ground that would be unique to your market? In terms of delivering rental? Like yeah, just rental? Yeah, challenge challenges. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm such a downer with all these <laughs> well, well, next we'll ask you, what's, what's the best part about uh, <laughs> okay, developing good. in Vancouver? Okay. <laughs> well, I think just permit times and approvals, that process is so long. In the city of Vancouver, it's my understanding, you can't run rezonings and DP you know, they're one after another rather than concurrent. There's a number of projects that I think have been approved and they're not going forward after years. So why is that? And I'm hoping that perhaps this next council, there'll be an election coming, can look back at why are these projects not moving forward and how can we go back and help them? Because those were started, but they're not in the ground. And that's, you know, potentially thousands of units that are lost or delayed or switching uses to condo or something else. Do you, this is just, because my experience, I mean, you'll understand my experience when I ask the question, but when you talk about the really basic economics of supply and demand, and when you're talking to the decision makers through that are in the municipalities about how the affordability problem is not, it's not an affordability problem, it's just a supply problem and just help us deliver more units and that will fix the affordability problem. Do they understand that relationship or do you kind of get like blank stares when you start talking statistics that way? I think it depends on who you're speaking to. I think generally everyone involved really wants to make a difference and they care, which is great. And it's not just supply. It's, I know that's how I can help assist is how if supply is one of the goals. Here's the ways in which I can see policies working from my appraisal background and from doing transactions where people are buying sites to build rental. I think I have a unique perspective that I try to share, but it's obviously not just a one fix yeah, that's the problem. Everybody's looking for the one, the one solution. Just to snap your fingers. Hey, we've solved it. So, as promised, then, what's the best part about development in Vancouver? I think if you can persevere and build a rental building, I think it's going to be successful. There's so many people that want to live here. Every building that I've, you know, the groups that I speak to that have them finally erected and occupied, like the people that are living there are happy and they're excited to be in this great new neighborhood in a new building instead of one that's 60 years old and maybe leaks and the windows are single pane. And so I think that that's what's exciting is that if you can persevere, if these groups can persevere and deliver the building, it will be a success. It's just really hard. <laughs> we'll edit out the part where you said it was really hard. We'll okay. keep okay. <laughs> sure. um, let's go. I want to talk about rents really quickly in the general market and then we'll go into interest rates as promised. Where are rents right now? And are you seeing rents... Again, you talked about divergence between new build and existing. Are you seeing that same thing on the rental rate side? Yeah, it may actually be the opposite. I think rental rates on the higher end perhaps have plateaued a bit over the last couple of years and maybe will be similar, you know, slightly up. But in terms of existing buildings, they're going up, I think, quite substantially, especially when you compare over year. And perhaps, you know, that's kind of skewed in that we were down lower than we would have because of the pandemic. But I see rental rate. There's not enough rental. Yeah, there's no there's not enough supply so, coming on because it takes so hard to get it delivered. It just it puts too much pressure on rental rates to keep going up. Unfortunately, literally, unfortunately. Yeah. 
we were talking with Cynthia just before we hit uh, record here. And then the comment then was that interest rates theoretically should impact Vancouver more than any other market because debt service coverage restraints are the biggest limiter on loans. And the lower the cap rate you go, closer to interest rates, the more of an issue it is. So Toronto and Vancouver would be the two markets really feeling it. But of course, you know, Vancouver's just got a little tighter cap rates than Toronto. So what's the sentiment right now around interest rates? How much of an issue are people perceiving this as? How much of a you know a dash of cold water might it be well, on the market? Let me just do it because it's May. What did I say? May, what day is it again? I've read another seventeenth. Today, CMHC insured five-year interest rates are three point seven percent. At least they were an hour ago. So you yeah. talked about your cap rates at three and a half to three and three quarters for brand new build development. You're now buying at your cost of capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when we've listed properties and existing stock in the last three or four months, sometimes we'll get a mortgage availability summary where a broker will provide us, a few brokers will provide us their thoughts and they'll be getting those quotes. The change in terms of what is required for a down payment now, it has been very significantly impacted the last couple months. On a new build, I'm less involved on the financing side but I understand what you're saying. And it's the case of all apartment buildings is that the cap rates are low and now interest rates have gone up and now you're in a negative leverage position. You know, something's got to give. So we are seeing a bit of a pause right now, I would say. There are, like we have sold buildings the last couple of weeks too unconditionally. They are major players who have long-term portfolios and they're less sensitive to this type of sort of short-term volatility. And they're prepared to make decisions now. I think the first time buyers of apartment buildings that we were seeing last year who, you know, moved out of retail or office and into, they're probably less likely right now to go ahead with a purchase. But that being said, again, there's so much uncertainty in stock markets and crypto and all, everything is sort of like in the red. I think apartment buildings still continue through these recessionary periods or periods of uncertainty to be pretty stable. So there's always a buyer, there's always a seller. And you can't even sit in cash these days because inflation will uh, eat you alive. It's the truth of it. And I guess one more point to the long-term horizon, large-scale investors is they generally aren't seeking max leverage on their financing to begin with. So total available leverage coming down wouldn't impact them until we got to much higher interest rates. Whereas what you referenced, people maybe just getting the apartment game for the first time, they generally want to go max out their leverage. So what are you seeing then in your broker's packages now? For leverage, what's the kind of average down payment you're seeing? Well, for existing buildings in Vancouver, because we're brand controlled, it was always 40, 50% down, which most people kind of balk at. Some would come over saying, oh, it's my first apartment building. Can I put 10% down? And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But now that's, you know, flipped to maybe 60% down or at times even more. So that's a lot of money to put up. That's a ton of equity to tie up. And it's a slow, long-term investment strategy. And a lot of people are just diversifying. That's one aspect of their 20 ways in which they're investing. Do you think that there's going to be sort of a split of the market where those smaller sort of 10, 20, 30 units that attract a different investor style versus the bigger, you know, 100, 200, 300 units where you do have more institutional capital that can look at it from a different perspective? Do you see perhaps a slowing down of the smaller and the velocity continues with the larger portfolios? You would think that would be the case, but I think Vancouver is just this unique market and the small stuff, there's just a huge pool of buyers. And I, by small, I mean number of units, but in terms of total dollars invested, it's actually still you know, a lot. It's still yeah. a lot of money. Some of our 10 unit stuff is 5 million plus. So 5 million I, I plus with 60% down. So you're right. talking like $3 <laughs> yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. That's right. It's not, a, not Trump change. That's right. So I don't 
see a huge disconnect at this stage, but obviously things change. So I was speaking with some real estate agents in here in Ontario, and they referenced a recent sale where the outside of the process, they expected, you know, call it 10 offers. This would be on a smaller, smaller product we're talking about right now. And then they get to, you know, the bid date. And of course, interest rates have shot up and they end up getting two or three. But is that that impactful pricing? You know, because Vancouver's coming off such a fevered pitch of activity, if you go from five buyers down to zero, that's a major issue for pricing. But if you go down to two or three offers, you know, you're still competition, you still have people to support some level of pricing. Is that, I mean, to, to use a large word, apocalyptic? No, I don't think so. I think yeah. it's more typical of what we've been seeing for you know many decades. It's just there's always two or three groups around. When there were 10, 20, that was you know, a feverish pace from 2021 that I think a lot of different areas were seeing. And it's just kind of back to what's more normal. And then for the structure on the sales, are you looking at more VTBs now? Because I personally have seen that more sales when you have leverage that just kind of is undigestible in your market, sub 50%, obviously. Are VTBs becoming a big part of sales to kind of preserve those the sale price? I would say we've had an increase in buyers asking if that's possible, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but that's the lag in, and this happens in every market, when markets change rapidly, buyers don't want to admit it at first. You know, it takes a few months for reality to settle in and then you'll see them adjust. And I think we're right now, we're still in that period where people still have February in their mind, even though, of course, we're not in that market. I have a theoretical question for you that's kind of interesting. And it happens way more in the single family market where, or at least did, we're really frothy. And I'm sure it happened in Vancouver. I know it happens in Toronto where you might have 15 bids and you've got 14 of them in a sort of a small range. And then the 15th is, you know, 30% greater. And then all of a sudden, so of course, that's the winning bid. But then the comps go, well, look, this is the market. But market was actually where the other 14 bids were just somebody was paying way more. Was that occurring in the apartment market? Like when you had that frothy action, were you seeing there were always kind of this one outlier that was really pushing the market? Or is it pretty consistent? I would say it's pretty consistent in Vancouver. It's a very transparent market. We Everybody has all the comps. We don't actually do bid dates much. We're pretty... We usually list with a list price, so it's it's pretty obvious where we think the uh, where the, the expectation market, is the expectation is, and no, I haven't seen some huge outlier apartment buildings too. They have while there was a lot of transactions and a lot of volume, there weren't huge price swings. There's no huge home runs here. I mean, there have been in the past five years some areas where OCPs have changed and they're existing. What's OCP? Buildings. Official community plan, like. Metrotown, as an example, there's a, a lot of apartment buildings existing there that were, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, where all of a sudden you can build a 50-story condo tower. So, you know, there's some skewing of numbers there. But otherwise, it's a pretty steady, consistent market where you're not having these big lottery wins, just slow and steady. So the one other effect of interest rates, and this relates to single housing, is that people can afford housing less, of course, when interest rates go up. Do you believe that that will then push people into the apartment market because their borrowing cost on single family homes have increased as well? So do you mean instead of buying a condo, they would rent? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I believe that will certainly have an impact. And we have very high levels of immigration. I think our area in BC, 100,000 people came last year, moved there. That's, a, I mean, most people come and they don't just buy, they're renting for a period of time. So it's further pressure on uh, our very small existing stock as a percentage of the people wanting to live in Vancouver. And then I guess um, I think we're, we're almost out of time here, but I do want to ask you about cap rates adjusting because because the nature of 
you know, getting property under contract and then due diligence and closing. We don't actually get hard numbers to sink our teeth into for months after a period of time. But do you think cap rates have moved in the last month? I think that there is a pause happening where people are trying to figure out what is the impact on cost? How am I going to be able to get trades if I need to, if someone moves out and I'm going to renovate a suite, how much is that going to be? What is my interest? What's my debt? Like all of these things, people are in a period of trying to discovery almost. And so there will likely be an impact on cap rates moving upwards. How much that will be and how long it takes to sort of show up. Not sure yet. One of the most exciting things about being in commercial real estate, no matter what you're doing, is you mentioned it when you're in appraisals. You kind of make a decision and defend it, right? And you have to make assumptions. That's just the reality. No matter what, it's always future looking. You have no idea what's going to happen, but you kind of have to make educated assumptions. And right now, it's really, really hard to do that. The last 20 years, it hasn't been that difficult, really. You kind of can assume interest rates were going to stay stable or come down. You knew rents were going to go up. Yeah, but costs have been stable for a long time, maybe not the last five years or so, but a lot of assumptions are basically gone right now. Yeah, I get a lot of calls from appraisers because they're, you know, I did that myself when I was an appraiser. You're interviewing brokers all the time and buyers and sellers and trying to figure out where things are at. And I've been saying to these appraisers because they're asking me about transactions we've done two, three, four months ago. And I say, well, it's a bit of a different time right now. And some of them are aware of it and some of them aren't they're going to have a tough time. Like valuing property in today's environment is difficult. It just is. So Cynthia, we're down to our last five minutes here. So I want to get your view on the Vancouver market for the next year. What do you see happening? What should uh, be points of hope for investors? What, uh, well, don't do that. Give her, like, assume interest rates stay flat as of today. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah let's Interest see. rates are stay at 3.75% <laughs> forever. Okay. In that environment, what do you think? Variables you can control. <laughs> yes. I see. I think rental rates are going to increase and vacancy rates will decrease or be flat. I think I'm hopeful that some of the politicians who will be coming into this new role in these city elections we will be having in October will really think about rental housing and affordable housing and really understand the variables and not just some of the rhetoric and really try to make a a change and even go back to some of the policies that have been put forward and see why they're not working and, I don't know, make some changes to make them work because we are heading into this inflationary environment. So rental rates up, vacancy rates down, cap rates stable or slightly up. But if you have a building constructed, I think it's going to be a success and lots of people want to live there. Yeah, that's great. The last question is, uh, when was the last time you played field hockey? It's been a while, but I do still play ball hockey. It's a co-ed league on... Wednesday nights. Just hacking shins out oh, there, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. great. I love it. That's how I get all my... You know, I'm stuck between a buyer and a seller all day. I got to get some angst out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Cynthia, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks to, obviously, Inform on the Real Estate Forums for hosting us here. Thanks to First Nash for powering the podcast. And thanks, Adam, for being cool. Try my best. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate the opportunity. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where Aaron and I discuss the conversation we just had with our guest. Cynthia was great. I mean, obviously, it's, if we're going to talk about Vancouver, it's great to have somebody on that really hyper-focuses on that market. We're at an interesting point in time where we don't have data to see the real impacts of interest rates in markets. There's a lag in reporting. So speaking to somebody like Cynthia is very handy because that's where you're going to see the first signs of shifts in the market because she's front of line 
on transactions, speaking to people. So at this point in time, it's probably one of the best places to get this kind of info. <laughs> oh yeah, if, if the brokers are willing to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, Which, no, but I, I thought mean, she was pretty transparent. Well, that's yeah. it. Like, I mean, you and I have had the opportunity to interview lots of those boots on the ground, so to speak. And of course, they have kind of an embedded interest in making sure that the market is positive because you know they're making their income on the transactions occurring. Human nature, I get it. But she was, I think, a little bit more transparent, Komodo open, so to speak, on just what she's seeing. And I think part of that is just her background, right? Being an appraiser, like she's looking at it sort of analytically. It was almost like she just can't look at it in a glass half full kind of way in a sense because it's interest rates are impacting valuations. Like you can't avoid that. You can't pretend that's not happening, right? So I did value the fact that she was just looking at it in an honest manner that, yeah, there's definitely some stress going on. But I also found it interesting, like her comments on there still being activity and it not being drastically different than it was before. I mean, because when interest rates were 2%, they were buying stuff at two and a quarter cap. The cap rate compression, yeah. that interest rate to cap rate metric where, I mean, you and I always kind of throw it 100 basis point delta. I mean, it's not been like that in Vancouver for a really, really long time. So I think a little bit of a different mentality for transactions there. Yeah, that's actually an interesting take. I guess yield seekers maybe aren't going hunting in Vancouver as much. So maybe that's the mentality doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, you're active in Toronto and Vancouver primarily. When was the last time you saw something about 50% loan to value in Vancouver? Yet that was regular in Toronto up until very recently, right? We had a recent conversation with Michael Betzlaw and he kind of covered how Toronto is catching up to Vancouver and a lot of those kinds of metrics. But yeah, for sure, the market in general requires the largest down payment when buying an apartment is going to be Vancouver. Also the one that should then be most affected by DSCR constraints and interest rates going up should be Vancouver, but that's actually an aspect I haven't thought about that people there are definitely conditioned for having to pile in a bunch of money. The other thing too is you combine that with the largest per unit valuations in the country and the checks you're cutting to buy, you know, even a 20, 30 unit building are going to be very sizable. Yeah. It was great to have her on. I mean, I know we were in the Edmonton forum, but I guess it was really the Western Canadian Investment Apartment Conference. So it was cool to have a little bit more, not just Alberta focus, but also have a little bit of BC content while we were there. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely. That is a market worth following, of course, as we do get data. That's the one I'm definitely interested in. Not just because I do business there, just purely as a real estate enthusiast. The Vancouver market's always been fascinating. And we hear about some of the deals that go on there. So once we actually do get data, which, you know, again, takes kind of months to lag and accumulate and become meaningful, Vancouver will be very interesting to see what happens coming through this interest rate period here. And the other comment I will make, and this is kind of off of the conversation we had with Cynthia, but while you and I were at the apartment conference and the Edmonton Real Estate Forum, it felt like there was a lot of developers saying, yeah, I develop apartments in Calgary, Edmonton, and Kelowna. And so again, this is just anecdotal for our listeners. I think it's worth mentioning because it didn't really come up very much in our conversations. Just there's a ton of development going on in Kelowna. And I will be interested to see just how not just the interest rate environment, but just the amount of supply that's going out and being delivered in Kelowna and what kind of transpires there in the next six to 12 months as it relates to predominantly just the apartment market. So I guess then we're doing a Kelowna episode in three or four we months. Will. Is that what I'm yeah. hearing? I'm going to throw that out right now. I have Matt Butler from Train on. He's been building in Kelowna for a while and it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say. All right. If you listen to this episode and got this far, I hope he hears it. He doesn't. No, I know he doesn't. No, I know he doesn't. But <laughs> okay. we'll reach out. We'll get him on. He'll come on. Send him an email. That's it for the after show today. Thanks a lot for listening as always. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. 
The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.